continuing in our latest series, a series entitled Seven Letters. And we've been diving deep into the words of Jesus to seven churches that were situated in a region known as Asia Minor. It's what is known today as uh, Turkey. But back in those days, these churches were in a, a circ- they were arranged in a circular fashion. And where they were in Asia Minor gave them the, the opportunity, the ability to influence the entire region around them. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because whether you know it or not, God wants to do some great things through your life. God has placed you in places that you might go, oh, me. But you, you should be saying, oh, my God, what do you want to do here? And so I believe that God is, uh, is teaching us some things. Now, these churches were situated in a region that helped potential for the gospel to exert great influence, but it also came with great challenges to them. I want to strongly encourage you, if you haven't done so already, or if you have been tuning in, to go to our YouTube channel and check out our past messages on this series and other things that we have going on, and study the scriptures for yourself. Today, we're going to be diving into the fourth letter that Jesus wrote uh, by way of the Apostle John to the church in Thyatira. And our topic today is the corrupted church. The corrupted church. As we learned last week, Pergamum was an important city in the region of Asia Minor. It was where the proconsul, the the person who kind of governed all Asia Minor, it's where he lived. So it was a place of great importance. It was a place that was very rich. It was bustling with commerce and it was full of many people of promise. As we also learned, there was a lot of wickedness going on there. But a a lot of things that were acceptable and normal were happening there. People of great prominence were there. And so, therefore, it became a target for invaders from the east who posed a continual threat as they wanted to overtake it and plunder it. And so to combat this threat, the empire of Rome decided that they would overpopulate a city to the east of Pergamum. It was a small city called Thyatira. And what they did was they stationed thousands of soldiers there. It became a military stronghold, kind of a military outpost of sorts. And they set it up there as a barricade to any threats that they might uh, encounter from people that would come from the east. It was kind of a deterrent to them. And so it was in this city that the church of Thyatira was established. Now, because of the mass amounts of soldiers that were there, Thyatira became a commercial hub. It it kind of became like a little mini Manhattan. It was bustling. And the reason why was because everything revolved around sustaining the military. It required lots of supplies, which brought about the uprise of businesses and other uh, different things. They provided clothes and fabrication of tents. There was animals and food and sources of entertainment. And this led to the establishment of what we learned to be trade guilds. And these trade guilds posed great problems. They were like mini unions. And these unions operated on, operated on a buddy system. The problem about it with them is that if you were in the trade guild, then you had to worship their pagan gods. You had to participate in their sacrificial feasts. You had to participate in their sexual orgies that were done in worship to these pagan gods. And so if you were a Christian, that was a problem. And if you didn't participate, not only did it create a problem for you not having a job, Many of these guilds and these people that had businesses that were a part of these guilds would outright blackball you. So you couldn't even buy stuff. And so this posed great problems and pressures. But despite these pressures, 
The church in Thyatira remained strong until a great pressure developed from within. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 18. And I'm going to dive right in. I know you're, you're, you're catching up there. I want to encourage you to use your Bible. But you can also check it out on the screen. Starting at verse 18, this is Jesus speaking. He says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads many servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality. Listen closely to this. But she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her uh, suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira that you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Though that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Listen closely to this. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to point that out to you at the end of, of, of this uh, text that we just read, because Jesus' intent is for us to hear, but not simply to hear, to begin to walk in the authority that he has given us. And so while we do face pressures, while there are things that come against our faith, while we are in an environment today, even in this country, that increasingly is and incrementally is beginning to advance agendas and ideas that come directly in opposition to our faith, that threaten the church as a whole. Ladies and gentlemen, wake up if you're not aware. It is happening. It is happening. Listen, Jesus says this, you will overcome. But he says you have to have ears to hear where I'm coming from, what I'm teaching you. And so like the, churches, like the other churches in Asia Minor, this church was not without challenges. Challenges that pressured them to compromise. But according to the words of Jesus, we see that this church, these people, they persevered. They persevered in their deeds, their love, and their faith was evident to the Lord. Jesus took note of them. But as we began to see in these uh, verses, there was a major problem brewing among them that was corrupting them like a cancer that is unseen to those looking from the outside. But listen closely, was evident to Jesus on the inside. It was evident to Jesus. He saw it. So to truly appreciate what is going on here, we have to dig deeper. 
we must first note, as in all the other letters sent to the churches by Christ through the Apostle John, that this letter was first addressed to the pastor of the church. When you read and write to the angel of Pergamum, write to the angel of Sardis, which we'll be looking at next week, write to the angel of Thyatira, it's referring to the one that God has placed there as his mouthpiece. And so, like in all these other letters, Jesus is addressing the pastor of this church first. And while this letter was addressed to the church body in Thyatira, in this letter, it has a specific message to the pastor that required his attention first and foremost because it was beginning to affect the entire body. Listen to verses 20 and 21 again. I'll read it to you. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. So this is a strong church. But he says, I have something against you. He says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a false prophet. Watch what he goes on to say. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And what we see is the goodness and the mercy of God. He says, I've given her the opportunity to repent. To turn around, to do something different, to go in a different direction, to not lead my people into destruction and not to go into destruction herself. But he says she's unwilling. And so as we can see, there was a false prophet in the church of Thyatira. A prophet is simply one who brings a message from the Lord. It's someone who comes with a level of authority that, that certifies this is the word of God. This is what the word says. This is true. And so in here what we see is that there was a false prophet in Thyatira. But the thing about it is that this prophet was tolerated by the pastor. And as a result was accepted by some among the body. The word tolerate here is very important because in the Greek it means to release, it means to liberate, it means to give unrestrained freedom. Do what you want, say what you want, have your way. That's basically what it means. And the pastor of this church, what we see here is that Jesus is saying that this pastor literally opened the door, gave unrestrained freedom for the misleading of the people of God there. So we have to ponder this question. Why was this prophetess, why was this prophet tolerated? Why was she tolerated? And I want you to hear this. In the Greek, when Jesus says that woman, Jezebel, that term that woman in the Greek indicates not just any woman. It, no, it, it, it indicates a woman who is notable and is a wife. Now, I'm going to tell you why I, say, I share that with you. Because this, many Bible scholars believe that this wasn't just a woman who was married to someone. The implication here is that this woman was married to the pastor. Thus, he began to allow this to happen. Right? Now, Bible scholars believe that this woman's name was not, in fact, Jezebel. But whether it was or it wasn't isn't the point. What we see according to the words of Jesus is that there is a parallel between this woman that was in the church of Thyatira and another woman named Jezebel in the Old Testament 
it, that functioned in the same manner. Both these women led the people of God astray and into pagan worship and grave sexual immorality. So I want to briefly just allude to this woman Jezebel in the Old Testament. I don't have much time, but I just want to give you a snapshot. Jezebel in the Old Testament, you'll find her story in the book of 1 Kings. She was a foreigner in Israel. She was a worshiper of a god named Baal. What's interesting is that as we saw in the previous weeks, Baal worship was still happening when these letters were written to the church. And so what we see is that there was a continuation of this. And this woman Jezebel in the church of Thyatira was leading the people to do the same thing that Jezebel in the Old Testament was doing. So this woman Jezebel was a foreigner in Israel. She was a worshiper of Baal. And she came to be queen by way of marriage to the king, a man named Ahab. So it was an arranged marriage. But the thing about it is that the Old Testament reveals that this woman was into witchcraft. She was manipulative. She openly opposed God and his prophets. Her wrath was so intense that if you just check out 1 Kings, you'll see that legitimate prophets of God went into hiding because of her wickedness. Even Elijah himself cried to God, said, just kill me. I'm done. And so this woman manipulated and ruled in Israel, not directly, but through the throne of her husband, the king, a man named Ahab. And so therefore what we see is that Jezebel, that a Jezebel, so to speak, is any outside force that is allowed to coerce, to manipulate within the ranks of God's people without restraint. Let me give you an example of that from the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 21, verse 25, it says, There was never anyone like Ahab. This is talking about the king, her husband. It says, There was never a king like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to what the scripture says. He sold himself. He sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Watch this. Urged on by Jezebel his wife. And so the initiator here was Jezebel. She was pushing. She was, she was advancing ideas that were worldly. She was bringing things that directly contradicted the truth. And like Ahab in the Old Testament, the pastor in Thyatira took a step back and said, go ahead. Do it. So with this context, what we see is we see the error that was quietly working its way through the church of Thyatira as there was a tolerance for one who spoke as if she was a mouthpiece of God but led the people astray by their ignorance of truth. And so as such, what we begin to learn here is that if we are to face the pressures of this world and if we are to face the pressures within the church even, we must learn to rightly discern God's word, though it be delivered by one who comes in his name. I'm going to say that again. We must learn to rightly discern God's word, though it be delivered by one who comes in his name. Listen, everyone that says to you, I bring you a message in the name of Jesus. Everyone that says to you, the Bible says, does not necessarily mean that they are bringing you the truth. And for those of you that have been around here any length of time or you've been checking us out, here's one thing that you'll know about me. 
I say this with all confidence, and I say this from the bottom of my heart. Do not take any word that I say to you for truth. Go back to the word of God for yourself. Now, look, I, I, I've got pastor friends, and I've had one or two say to me, dude, that's pastoral suicide. People aren't going to trust you. Great. Mission accomplished. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust God. I want you to turn to God. Listen, if, the, if all we leave with is pastor said, then there's a problem. Because we are exalting the word of a man above the word of God. And so please don't leave here impressed, looking at me any certain type of way. I am no one here. I simply bring you a message from the word. And I encourage you, I challenge you, and I call you to do what maturity calls for. Step out of your comfort zone, dig into the word, examine it for yourself, and see if the message is true. Amen? So Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, gives us an example of false prophets and the words of Jesus in response to them. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of elders. Listen to that. And so it goes on to say in verse 4, And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to, tr to the tradition of the elders? Instead of eating their food with defiled hands. And he replied, you know, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Strong words. He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Human rules. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe, listen closely, your own traditions. And so the Pharisees, these guys, these people, they were a select group from among the people of Israel that were appointed to the priesthood. As a matter of fact, these people were born into the, Levit to the Levitical tribe. And so they grew up being groomed to be priests, to minister to the Lord, to, to administer rituals and all these things and lead people and teach people the word of God. And so they were considered elite. These people were considered the, the cream of the crop, the people that you had to follow after because according to their understanding, to everyone's understanding in Israel, these were the people that knew what God had to say. These were the people that could interpret the law for us. These were the people that could tell us exactly the teachings of God. And so when they spoke, many people listened to them as if their message was from God himself.
And in this encounter, we see the substance of their standing before all was not spiritual and godly at all. It was, in effect, shallow and disconnected from the truth in God's word. Listen, the basis for their words and the basis for their lives, despite the appearance of godliness, the scripture says that they were vain. Why? Because their root was founded in the traditions of men. In the traditions of men. You know, that exists today in, in the church world today. What's the next hot thing? What's the new message? What's the new great revelation? Be careful. Be careful. You know what Jesus called them? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. You advance your ideas, you advance your philosophies, you advance your agendas, and it appears godly, but inwardly, it's, you're really chasing after men. You want to reflect men. You want to reflect what other people are doing. And so these people exist even today, per the words of Jesus. Listen to his words in Matthew 7, 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Mm. And so if we're to withstand the pressures that arise outside the body and within the body of Christ that lead many to conform and bring about corruption among us, we must learn how to watch out. We have to know how to watch out. You got to know what the word says. You got to understand the truth as revealed from the scriptures. And so for the next couple of moments that I have, I want to give you just some things to consider about how to remain incorruptible. How to not uh, allow for decay in your life and your faith and your walk with Christ. You know, we've all heard the statement, everything that glitters isn't gold. You ever heard that one? You know, the same is true as it pertains to everyone that comes in the name of the Lord. Everything that glitters isn't God. I'll say that again. Everything that glitters isn't God. You know, there are people that we get so mesmerized by their wisdom. We get so mesmerized by their appearance. We get so mesmerized by the size of their ministry. We get so mesmerized by the things that people are doing. And it appears godly. It appears good. But listen. We saw in week one of this series that Jesus said to the Ephesian church, he says, man, you, you, you know how to resist these false prophets. You, you stand, you stand the test, you do all these things, but this one thing I have against you, you forgot what this is all about, loving me. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we can, we, can, uh, we, we can give ourselves over to be sacrificed. We can speak in tongues of angels. We can do great works of God. But if we have not love, it says it's profitable for nothing. You know what the scripture is saying there? You can look like a Christian. You can act like a Christian. You can get Christian results and not be one. Wow. So just because it looks good, just because it sounds good, just because it gives the appearance of revelation of deep spiritual mysteries doesn't mean it's God. It doesn't mean it's God. I remember many years ago we lived in the city, and uh, this was before we moved up. This was quite a few years ago. And at that time 
I had just started coming back to church. I'd been coming back to church for a few years. And, um, and I, I deeply respected the man who was our pastor at that time. And I respected his judgment. And so he had a friend that he would bring in from the, the West Coast. And this gentleman would come in and, and, he, and man, you know, he, he would speak with great authority. He would, he would, he would, I mean, it was like he was just spitting scripture. And it was impressive. And I'm I'm not going to lie. I was impressed by this guy. And then he would give you that look while he was preaching that looked really, really spiritual. You know, you know the one I'm talking about? It was like, you know, like, 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 whoa, this is a God moment. Right? So I would get impressed by this. I'm not making fun of the guy, but I'm just, I'm just being honest with you where I was at a time. And so it so happened that we had decided that it was time to move and we were going to be moving up this way, which meant we would be like 60 miles away from where we were. And, man, I'm so loyal. My intention was we're going to church in the Bronx every Sunday. And we'll be there on Tuesday to help out. And we'll be there on Thursdays. And it was unrealistic. It really was. But that's, that was my commitment at the time. And so uh, this man uh, happened to come from California. And he came to preach at the church one Sunday. And after they were done preaching, pastor and his wife and this gentleman, they were leaving to go eat. And so for us, we, we were involved in everything. So I was locking up the building. And I'm locking up the building. I see the pastor's car come back around and pull up. And they get out the car and they walk towards the building and say, oh, I forgot my Bible. Can I go back in? So I open up. They go in and get the Bible. They come out. And this uh, gentleman gives me that look. Right? He's walking by me. And then all of a sudden, it was like he had this spiritual moment. And he looks at me. And he, intently, and he says, Jose, thus saith the Lord, if you leave the side of this man, it'll be for the destruction of you and your family. You know what that did for me? I went home, and I, as soon as I walk in, I said to my wife, call the realtor, call the lawyer. We were already in contract. I said, cancel it. I don't care if we got to pay whatever we got to pay. We're not moving. My wife was like, why? And I'm like, we're not moving. She goes, why? I said, because such and such told me, thus saith the Lord. You know what the problem was there? I put more emphasis in a man than I did in the God that this man proclaimed to speak for. Instead of trusting God, I was trusting a man who proclaimed to speak for God. Thank the Lord for sound counsel because it troubled me, man. It, it was, it, it was, I was torn. And I was afraid. But then I, had, I got on a phone call with a friend of mine who's still a good friend of mine. And I said, man, look, such and such said this to me. And he says to me, he says, Jose, let's, let's go to the word on this. And we began to dig into the word. And he says, tell me how what God will do for your family is tied to what you do for a man. I couldn't see it. You know what I said? Hun, we're out of here. We're out of here. That's it. No, but listen, I'll tell you why I, I, I share this with you. Because Jesus warned against false prophecy. And we have to know how to discern false prophets. We have to learn how to discern when not just the teaching, but even the person who comes in the name of the Lord, if this is legit. And so Jesus warned against this as it pertains to things that would happen prior to his second coming to the earth. Listen to Matthew 24, verses 24 and 25. It says, false for false messiahs, saviors is what he's saying, 
false messiahs, guys who claim to be me, people that claim to be Christ. You know that there's even a doctrine out there right now that says, you know, well, if Jesus had a father, then he also had to have a mother. And, you know, Jesus already came, but his mother's still here, so you should be worshiping her. And do you know that there are people falling for this? You know, in the absence of truth, you will always live in error. Always. And so he says, for false messiahs, saviors, and false prophets will appear. And watch this. They will perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See? Watch this. I have told you ahead of time. You know what that tells us? We are without excuse. We are without excuse. But we must learn to discern and understand the word of God. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage your heart and your faith. Don't be fooled by what you see lest you fall for what they say. I'm going to say that again. Don't be fooled by what you see. Lest you fall for what they say. Just because a place is big, just because everything sounds good, just because everything done is precise, just because everything moves the motions and the hearts of people does not mean that it is from God. It does not. I'm sorry. No, no, actually, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. We, we must wake up. We must mature in this regard. See, this is where the church in Thyatira went wrong. Listen to, again to the words of Jesus in verse 24 of Revelation 2. He says, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira that you who do not hold to her teaching, watch this, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. You know what the book of Ecclesiastes says? It says there is nothing new under the sun. Beware when somebody says, I got a new revelation from the gospel for you. Back up. Go to the word. Let the word interpret the word. Don't, don't interpret it based upon what you think it's saying. You have to study the scriptures. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. You have to see it from the Old Testament perspective, but then you have to more importantly see it from the New Testament perspective after the resurrection of Christ. And you have to learn how to discern that word. This prophet's teaching gave the appearance of such death that people stopped at the place of being impressed. Ooh, ah, I can't wait till next week. When this prophet speaks again. Herein Jesus teaches us something about overcoming the allure of a false prophet. Listen to his words in verse 25 of Revelations 2. He says, hold on to what you have until I come. Let me tell you why I share that with you. The reason why some began to fall away and do so even today is because they let go of the truth. For something that provides them the appearance of a deeper truth. We let go of the truth. And we say, this is better. This, this, this seems more mystical. It gives me some goosebumps. Ooh, 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 ooh. Praise God. Ooh. We get moved by our emotions. We get moved by public consensus. 
We get moved by what everybody else is doing and saying and following. And we forget that at the end of the day, the scripture says that you and I are, that we have to work out our own salvation before God with reverence, with fear and trembling is what it says. It's you and God. Don't concern yourself with what somebody else says. Know the word of God for yourself. Which leads me to my next point. Your greatest offense against deception is what you defend. Let me say that again, and then I'll clarify that. Your greatest offense against deception is what you defend. You can only fall for deception if you fail to know and stand on God's word. It's the only way you can fall for the trickery of the enemy. It's the only way that you can fall for the traditions, the way of men. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 119 verses 11 and 12. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Now, if you know anything about this guy, David, David fell short often, just like you and I. But an in-depth study, look at his life, what you'll see is that David always stood back up. He always found himself at the place of restoration. And the reason why he did was because David knew how to do something with God's word. The word hid here, when he says, I have hidden your word in my heart, it literally means to safeguard, it means to defend, it means to protect a great treasure. It also means to treasure up, to hold tightly. David understood the value of the truth above everything else. And as a result, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When he says sin there, he says that I might not miss the way, that I might not go wrong, that I might not bear loss. And so what we see is that David valued the truth in God's word above everything else. It was treasure to him. Let me ask you a question. How valuable is the truth in God's word to you? Now here's the, here's the test. If it's that valuable, what are you doing with it? How are you incorporating it into your life? How is it changing your mindset? How is it defining a new picture for life? How is it giving you direction? How is it correcting you and instructing you and equipping you for life? If that's not happening, ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this to you with all due respect, but in love, you're deceived. You're deceived. David's words in this psalm also reveal that he was submissive to God's word. Listen to what he says, Lord, teach me your decrees. When he says teach me, you know what he's saying? He's saying train me. Train me. See, his training came from God's decrees. We then must also learn to be submissive and remain submissive to the training that God affords us by way of his word. Now, here's the thing about training. You know that there are people that they'll pay a trainer and they'll say, yeah, you sh show me how to do it. That's too hard right now. Just show me. Right? Do you know that there are subscriptions that you, there are apps that you can download. And you have the trainer and you can watch them and they'll take you through the whole routine. Right? Some of us might just be watching the trainer. Some of us might be listening to the trainer. Some of us might be observing the trainer. Some of us are even going to the extent that we might be subscribing to the trainer's videos. But we're not submitting to the training. 
See, the training is only beneficial if you submit to it and you do it. And the same is true for God's word. It's of no benefit if all we do is hear and hear and hear and hear and hear. James puts it this way. Do not be just hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Right? The next point that I want to take you to is that you must test everything you hear. I'm going to tell you how to do that in a second. You must test everything you hear. Charles Spurgeon once said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. He says, discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. From the letter to the church in Thyatira, we know that this false teaching was propagated in the name of God. People believed that this person was coming in the name of God. And we know this because Jesus calls her a false prophet. We also know that her teaching gave the appearance of spiritual death. Thus, Jesus called it Satan's so-called deep secrets. And that it was a religion of sorts because it led people to worship. But it led them to worship pagan gods. In other words, it appeared to be from God. But the results proved otherwise. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. He says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is, no surprise, if his servants also, watch this, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness. This proves one thing. You will fall for false teaching unless you know how to discern the falsehood. You will fall for false teaching unless you know how to discern the falsehood. So I just heard somebody think this. So how do we do that? Good question. I'm glad you asked it. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. John says this. Starting at verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every, listen closely, spirit. It's very important. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges, that's the Greek word for concedes. It's not simply saying, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. It's one that submits to that authority. It's one that doesn't exalt itself above that authority. You know how you know when somebody's exalting themselves above the Word of God, above the truth? When they begin to give you, well, you know, this is what I believe. This is what I think. This is what I understand. This is why I always simply give you the word. The scripture says this to pastors. James says, whoever aspires to teach the word should know this. You are doubly accountable. Doubly accountable. My cry before the Lord is this, Lord, just help me to continually see the truth in your word. And I commit to only teach that. Look, I don't claim to be better than anybody. I'm not that guy. For those of you that have been around for a while, you know that. My commitment to you and to the kingdom, most importantly to God, above you, above everyone else is this. God, I will only speak your word. I'd rather just teach the word 
than teach you something that will tickle your feathers. Because if that's all we do here, then what are we accomplishing? We're lying to ourselves, right? And so if you are to discern false teaching, actually, I'm sorry, I wasn't done reading. Uh, it says, uh, every spirit that acknowledges, concedes that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge, that does not concede, that does not yield to Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now, back then and is still present, is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from a viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. If you are to discern false teaching, you must go beyond the teacher themselves. The scripture says that we are to test the spirit. The spirit. We are, the, 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 the word test there means to examine, to prove, to scrutinize, to dig in, to get past the shell. The word spirit here is the Greek word pneuma, which means, a, it speaks of the vital principle by which the body is animated. It's what's behind what you see. And here's what the scripture tells us. Test the spirit. For some of us, we just test the man. We just test the woman. Oh, man, they, they, they appear so spiritual. They're so godly. They're so loving. Oh, my God, look at the great things they're doing for God. But we never get past the shell. We never test the spirit. We never scrutinize the, 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 the validity of the word that they speak. We never measure it against the scriptures. Listen, if all you do is listen to the word and it doesn't drive you to go to the word for yourself, what are we doing? In this particular case, the Apostle John identifies a vital principle that was at work within the church in those days, specific to this church when he wrote it. They were Gnostics. These were people who claimed to believe in God but deny that Jesus ever came in the flesh. And John goes on to discern that which defined their false teachings. In verse 5, he says, it's a viewpoint. It's a, world, it's a viewpoint of the world. It doesn't point you to God. You know what the viewpoint of the world is? Self. Self. Just live a better life for you. Just improve upon the old you. Have you forgotten that you are a new creation? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the journey of Christianity. We are called to discover that which has been created brand new in us. And the only way that we will discover that is by the word of God. You must know who you are in Christ. You must know your high call. You must understand your position of authority in the kingdom of God. And you must remember that you are called to be an influencer, not be influenced. As we stand here and close, I leave you with a final thought. You must fight for the win daily. I'm going to say that again. You must fight for the win daily. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? In Revelation 2.26, Jesus says this, that to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, 
I will give authority. The word victorious here depicts one who is charged with a crime and goes before the court and maintains their cause and as such they are declared innocent. Listen closely as Christians, as children of God, as the light of the world, we will face teachings of false prophets. We will confront views among believers that give appearance of great spiritual death. But you and I must continue to maintain our stand upon the revelation of God's word so that you can overcome and do what God instructs you. Can I just give you a, a sound piece of advice? If you don't understand it from God's word, don't try to make it into something. Don't. And if you don't understand something from God's word, there's nothing wrong with turning to mature believers. And I'm not talking about age. But listen closely. If you're going to turn to someone, make sure that it's completely pointing you to the finished work of Christ. Let me tell you a false teaching that exists today. We still point people to the law, to the law, to the law, to the law, to the law. You got to follow these laws. You got to live by these laws. Listen closely to what Paul says by revelation of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. He says, whoever justifies themselves by the law, Christ is of no effect to them. The book of Hebrews says that we have put away the old and now we have this new. And this new life is contained in a revelation of Christ. It's contained in a revelation of his grace. And listen, grace empowers you to do what's right. For some of us, we're trying to do what's right, to be right with God. What do you need God for then if it's dependent upon you? I know that today I've, I've really just kind of dug in and I've given you some, some, something that really challenges our hearts. I'll tell you why. Because the scripture tells me that my job and anyone who's in this work of the ministry that the call is to equip the body for the work of the ministry that they might mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ, that they would walk according to the word, that they would do the work of the ministry, that they would do what God has called them to. The purpose of everything that we do here is to equip you so that you can grow and walk out your faith, not so that you can just depend on a few select people. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.